Hello, I'm Jo Earp and welcome to another Teacher Podcast, episode 77 of The Research Files. Student violence directed at school educators is a common issue. Sadly, for many of you listening, it'd be something you've experienced in your career, and for some, it may be a regular occurrence. My guests for this episode of The Research Files are David Stevenson, a provisional psychologist and behaviour support practitioner, and assistant professor James Neal from the Discipline of Psychology, School of Health Sciences and Faculty of Health at the University of Canberra, along with Kayla Ball, Rebecca Smith and Melina Shaws, they've just published a new paper in the Australian Journal of Education. It's called How do preschool to year six educators prevent and cope with occupational violence from students? In the study, educators in the ACT, that's the Australian Capital Territory for those listening internationally, were asked about the frequency and impact of occupational violence and the prevention and coping strategies they used and found effective. Before we jump in, it'd be great if you could take just a few moments to give a rating of our podcast if you're listening to this audio on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you're listening on the Spotify app, just click on the three dots and rate show. And if you're on the Apple Podcasts app, you'll find the rating section by scrolling all the way down to the bottom of our podcast channel page. On Apple Podcasts, you're also able to leave a short review for us and leaving a rating or review helps more people like you find our podcast and it's a really big support for our team so thanks for taking the time to support the work we're doing okay back to today's episode it's a longer conversation than usual so let's get started david and james welcome to the research files Now, there are a few studies out there already, obviously, which include figures for things like verbal abuse and threats, harassment and violence against educators. And uh, I'm thinking particularly there's the annual Principal Occupational Health, Safety and Wellbeing Survey that's been done for several years, actually, and we've covered that um, on Teacher. It's fair to say that that study paints a fairly alarming picture in terms of the rates there being much, much higher um, for teachers than the general population. your study did look at frequency of incidents, but it also focuses on something a bit more practical, doesn't it, David? Um, yeah, no, that's right. And, and as you said, it is alarming that the rates are so high, about nine or ten times the general population. And um, I think that that's something that the general population really doesn't understand what, what educators are facing uh, in their workplaces. Um, so from our respondents, it was reported that an average of about half uh, the day of educators was actually spent managing challenging and complex behaviours, which, which we found quite quite alarming that a lot of the day is, is taken up um, by managing these students with these high needs. Um, and while we did look at the frequency and the impact of its occurrence, we wanted to expand on this and really have a solution-focused lens um, rather than just looking at the prevalence, which there is that growing body of research, um, and really trying to focus on what we do about it and what we do with this information to help support educators um, we, yeah, really wanted to understand the prevention and coping strategies that teachers use and find out what's most effective. So we did this by using open-ended questions as well, because we really wanted to, to dive into the um, expertise that educators have on the ground. Um, they're the ones facing this day-to-day, uh, 
they uh, rather than sort of telling or, or prompting them, what we really wanted to find out was what they were doing, what they found was the most effective to prevent and then also to cope afterwards. Uh, we also wanted to provide anonymity because I think sometimes when it comes from an internal source, um, people just sort of answer and tick the boxes and can be worried about ramifications of what they're saying going on. So providing that anonymity uh, was very important for us to, to get as real as possible a picture of what's happening um, on the ground. Um, and we were also de-identified and shared them with our co-researchers from the OV and Complex Case Management team in the ACT edu uh, Education Directorate. So we had their director, Rebecca Smith, and their psychologist, Dr. Kayla Ball, um, on board, and they were, they were a big part of this as well, um, allowing us to get into uh, the schools and supporting us um, and, and sort of endorsing what we were doing there. So it was a, a really collaborative approach between University of Canberra and then the Education Directorate there in the ACT. Uh, I think another strength of our research is we noticed that a lot of the focus is on um, teachers rather than support staff as well. And being that support staff are the ones that often work one-on-one -on -one with, with the complex students themselves um, and the challenging behaviours, we wanted to sort of gauge what they were doing as well and expand that to all school staff um, as well as, as the important work that teachers do. Um, and then I guess, yeah, if we're going to the aims of what our studies were, we were looking a little bit at the frequency and then what the impact was um, and then moved on to what, what teachers do on the ground to prevent occupational violence from students, but also what they do to cope and manage afterwards. Uh, and then finally, we uh, sort of looked at what supports educators were using um, that they found were the most helpful uh, and most frequently used. So as we've mentioned, uh, there are a few studies out there that say what the problem is, but this one's tapping into, um, you know, how do educators cope? What are some of those strategies and what they can actually do about it? Um, the other thing to reiterate is we're talking about violence from students here rather than from other educators or from parents and so on. And uh, before we look at the results, I'd just like to um, give listeners some context about the extent of the problem. Uh, so can you give a bit of an overview of what we already know about the prevalence of violence against teachers in the workplace? Yeah, absolutely. Um, estimates of the prevalence of teacher-directed violence vary greatly. However, it appears to be escalating around the world. Um, and exactly why this is happening, we're not we're not sure, we didn't look into that, but it is interesting that it does seem to be increasing. Um, it happens in all grade levels and tends to occur, yeah, as I said, all around the world. Um, it, it's not just an isolated um, issue in, in one of the countries or one culture. Um, so looking into some of the other research as well, we found Longbardo and his research uh, partners conducted a meta-analysis meta and identified from 24 studies that at least half respondents um, experienced at least one form of violence from students in the preceding two years. Uh, and as you sort of mentioned with the, the Riley study on principles, they found that there was an increase in 2011 from 27% um, up to 42% in 2018. Uh, and then looking in the ACT, which is sort of where our jurisdiction is and where we were focusing on, um, Shattuck and his team identified 5% of teachers reported experiencing extreme violence from students every day. So um, it's quite a complex issue there. And a further 6% experienced this at least once a week. Um, this all implies that this is placing educators at a high risk of being physically or psychologically harmed which also contributes to burnout, impaired job performance, staff leaving the profession, 
Um, and despite the concerns regarding the health and safety of our amazing education workforce, this appears to be a factor that's contributing to the, the shortage of staff that we're finding now that's becoming evident in Australia. Yeah, um, as I say, it's a big concern and anybody who's worked in education, sadly, will likely have been the victim of workplace violence or regression from students. Um, okay then, I mentioned in the intro to this podcast that this study looked at the experience of primary t- teachers, so that's preschool to year six. Uh, David, who exactly was involved and what did you do? Yeah, so in regard to the scope of the study, we wanted to look at preschool to year six, um, partly because that's where I was working um, in, in that field, but also um, a big believer in early intervention and feel that that's highly effective as well as um, as it gets to high school, it tends to be a little bit different. Um, so we obtained 369 ACT government school staff. Uh, we had a response of 86% uh, females, 14% male, um, and no responded as other. Um, and this sort of pretty closely matched what the gender ratios are in primary schools in the ACT. Uh, they had an average of around 14 years of experience as an educator, and the job roles included 206 classroom teachers, 48 exec teachers, uh, 43 learning support assistants, 25 principals, 20 deputies, and eight administrative assistants, and 19 other school staff that included uh, roles like youth workers, business managers, specialist teachers, and pastoral care staff. Um, We had 85% uh, worked in mainstream primary school settings, Uh, 83 were preschool staff, Uh, 51 worked in learning support units, Um, and 25 of our respondents worked in the specialist schools. So we used a self-report questionnaire and was distributed to teachers' work emails by their principal. And a copy of the questionnaire is actually available as Appendix C in the supplementary materials of the research, if anyone wants to look at exactly what the questions are that were used. Yeah, so we've got a good range of uh, respondents there. There should be a good range of views and experiences. So if you're listening and you're working in that P to 6 area, it's very likely there's somebody in your kind of role that's answered this questionnaire. You mentioned there, David, about your previous role. You worked as an LSA, didn't you? That's a learning support assistant and a youth support worker for seven years. So you've got that experience on the ground. You were an honours student when this study was carried out at the University of Canberra and um, you're now a provisional psychologist and behaviour support practitioner. You also gave a mention to the survey questions in the appendix of the research that's just been published. I'll put a link to the AJE paper in the transcript of this podcast on teachermagazine.com. So head over to the AJE to read more. And the paper's free to access until the end of November. Um, one final point is the time frame. The research was carried out during the pandemic, but respondents were asked to think about experiences prior to 2020. Yeah, it has been a difficult time, so we should really acknowledge that and, and really commend all, the, all your listeners and, and teachers for, for how they sort of had to think outside the box um, and sort of shift how they had delivered education. So, yeah, hats off to you all out there for the incredible work that you've done in, in, in this really challenging time. Oh, absolutely. So we've talked about the aims of the study and what happened. Uh, let's dive into the results. What were the headline results for the frequency of occupational violence? Yeah, so our measures for the frequency, types and impact of experienced OV um, were, we used the same sort of model that the ACT uses for reporting um, incidents of occupational violence to maintain consistency with the measures that that were currently used. Um, So what we were looking at was 
uh, abusive language, physical aggression, other threatening behaviour, bullying and harassment, and then OV as, as an overall, as an experience from students there. Um, and the timeframes we were really looking at were whether it was occurring daily, a few times a week, uh, once a week, once a month, every six months, or if it was never occurring for that particular staff member. Um, we found about half the sample reported experiencing at least one form of occupational violence from students on at least a weekly basis, which is huge um, amount of experience there. So only 11% of our um, respondents actually didn't experience OV. And the most frequent form of OV was abusive language with 60% reporting this occurred at least once a week. Um, this was oh, followed actually, by... I just want to cut in there, yep. David, sorry. Um, we're talking about abusive language happening at least once a week for six in 10 respondents. And this is not in secondary school here. We're talking about P to six. No. So these are primary school students. Um, and, and we were surprised as well at how high that was, that was occurring. Um, so other threatening behaviour was 43% experienced at, once, at least once a week. Um, physical aggression, 41% um, were experiencing that on at least a weekly basis, which is, again, a huge amount um, of our respondents that uh, are dealing with that physical aggression um, and violence from students um, every week. And then bullying and harassment was experienced by 20% um, of our respondents um, at least once a week. So the, the figures are quite um, extensive on, on how many staff are... are um, managing and trying to deal with this on, on a, a weekly and sometimes even daily um, basis. And in this study, you didn't just say, is this happening to you? But you asked the respondents what the impact was of these incidents. What did you find there? Yeah, so with the impact, um, again, we used the, the terminology that the directorate uses um, in the ACT. Um, so they were, uh, the impact levels were insignificant, so no perceived impact on psychological or physical well-being. Uh, minor, so pain inflicted at site, but no first aid required and or some initial psychological distress that decreased over the day. Uh, moderate included uh, injury requiring first aid and or psychological distress that persisted past 24 hours. Major was injury requiring medical assistance and or psychological distress that persisted more than one week. And then severe right up on the top was uh, injury requiring hospital admission and or psychological distress resulting in ongoing psychological conditions such as anxiety, depression or PTSD. So for respondents who experience OV or overall, the severity of impact was rated as moderate, major or severe by 43% with 16% uh, rating the impact as major or moderate and only 15% rated the impact as insignificant. Physical aggression appeared to have the greatest impact with 47% of those experiencing physical aggression reporting at least moderate impact, 89% um, reported at least minor impact, and followed by other threatening behaviour, um, which was around 37% uh, reported as a, at at least a moderate impact to them, and then 83% reporting that as minor. Um, bullying and harassment um, was around 35% reported this as at least moderate, and 74% at least minor. Um, abusive language, which was the most uh, common frequency, as we said before, um, while it was just words rather than, than necessarily uh, a physical uh, response from the student, 25% still reported that at least moderate impact, 
73% um, or more, at least minor impacts. So just showing the, the impact um, that our amazing staff have um, dealing with, with this host sometimes hostility and, and the different um, behaviours of, of the students when, when they have these outbursts in, in our education settings. Well, yeah, that's interesting to get more of an insight into the impact of incidents there on not just the physical health, but their mental health as well. I want to move on to the prevention of the coping strategies now. Um, let's start with prevention. What were the more common, what were the most common, sorry, themes and strategies here? Yeah, so we um, used open-ended questions to really capture what educators' thoughts were rather than providing suggestions to what they use from a selection. Um, for prevention, we asked what the individual perceived were the most effective strategies that they used, and then a separate question on what their workplace used um, effectively. So we wanted to look at the individual level and then at the school-wide level um, in the, the prevention response. Um, at the end, we came up with 114 individual prevention codes, uh, and they were organised into the 15 themes. So the themes that uh, we, we got from the responses were the staff response, uh, collaboration, uh, the individual student focused, antecedent control, relationships, uh, rules structure, programs, plans, removal, sensory needs, communication, resourcing, environment, uh, and recording and using data. So we used a multiple response analysis and we found that the most frequently mentioned strategies in order of use by the individual were the staff remembers response to the student, which was uh, about 66% of our respondents uh, gave, gave those that fit into that theme. 56% um, focus on the individual student. 55% uh, discussed working collaboratively. 43% antecedent control. And then 40% uh, percent of relationships. So they were the, the most common uh, prevention strategies that the individual was using. And just to define some of them, the staff member's response was um, how educators choose to act, respond, give choices, follow up and deal with students who have a high risk of violent behaviour. The individual student focus uh, looked at meeting student needs, engagement, uh, the individual differences, rewarding desired behaviour, um, teaching coping skills um, and individualised timetabling. Um, Working collaboratively uh, involved working with and being supported by colleagues, other directorate staff and services, and adopting a whole school approach. Um, antecedent control was really about understanding the triggers, identifying the early warning signs, uh, and using those preventive, preventive strategies that work on the in individual level there. Uh, and another big one's the relationships, which was really about maintaining positive relationships with students and their family um, where possible, and having familiar staff work with students when a regular teacher or LSA is not available. We then found a similar pattern of results for the workplace prevention strategies um, with the following notable variations. The most common strategy mentioned by over 80% of respondents was collaboration. Uh, other effective workplace prevention themes that were emphasised more often than the individual uh, ones were the school-wide evidence-based programs, uh, educator-level plans, increased resourcing and recording and using OV data. Uh, is there anything you want to add there, James? Sorry, I've just been talking, <laughs> talking a lot there. But oh no, it, it's it's a pleasure, I guess, as an academic to have um, had such an enthusiastic student with runs on the board, working with um, individual students in in school settings. Uh, so um, I've learned a lot from this, but um, 
I guess as a somebody with a background in educational and positive psychology, that's why I sort of encourage David to not just talk about the problem, but I guess look, start to look for solutions and ideas and things that, you know, if if there are some little things that are working, then there's the potential to amplify those in um, in school systems. Uh, but certainly one of the things for me was, yeah, some jaw dropping when I saw some of these statistics. Admittedly, this is a convenient sample. So we have, we don't, we've got about, I think, 5% of the ACT educators, but there is obviously a risk that some of these incident rates are um, reflective of people who are motivated to respond and report their, their individual experiences. Uh, nevertheless, it, it does paint a pretty um, concerning picture, which the ACT directorate was well aware of, and I've got to give credit for to them for being um, very welcoming of our sort of approach and interest, and um, they did everything possible to allow the study to happen, uh, didn't seek to sort of influence or interfere, and they were very keen to learn about the results because they're on their own sort of uh, trajectory to try and deal with this issue and um, got a rapidly sort of expanding occupational violence team uh, and they're keen to keep keep going and and, and learn more um, so yeah this what David started to talk to I guess are some of the insights around the things that work um, but I think we need to be careful not to place it all back on teachers because as you just went through, David, several of these strategies that work are at the school level or the broader system level, um, which I know is recognised in the principal's report that, you know, you can't, um, you can't expect the solutions to all be found at the micro level. There's some cultural issues right at, from the societal level um, through to the uh, department level and the messaging that goes out. And, um, you know, one of the things I've been, I was surprised to hear David talk about was that some occupational violence, some of that, what we might think of as minor, is kind of just accepted as business as usual. Um, whereas, you know, if I walked into a university and I was verbally abused, that there would be a zero tolerance kind of approach to that. But there does seem to be some cultural issues that, um, you just this this sense that you just have to put up with some of this as um, par for the course, which I think is the culture that we're now trying to change and um, and say no that that deserves some intervention and um, some sort of response. Yeah, that's absolutely a great point that you make there. The teachers and uh, school leaders can't do this alone. We've talked about prevention strategies, and again, listeners will be familiar with using these kinds of things, I guess, uh, watching for triggers, for example. But when these incidents do happen, we reach the point of coping strategies, and that's the other thing that you asked respondents about. What were some of the main themes there? We came down to 126 separate responses that were coded, and that was then organised into 14 themes. Um, the themes that we came up with uh, included debriefing, self-care, work support, um, exercise, staff response, uh, time out, mindset, interests, hobbies, emotional regulation, external support, student focus, reflection, indulgent behaviours, uh, professional support. 
Uh, the most frequently reported personal well-being strategies we used was de debriefing at 58% was, was really quite an important one um, that we found from our respondents. Uh, followed by mental and physical self-care was about 51% of our respondents to that question. And then followed by workplace support through colleagues, school staff and the education profession. Um, and then finally, 31% um, actually mentioned physical exercise. So uh, it really is about that work-life balance and, and uh, proactively looking after yourself as well. Because um, if we don't look after ourselves, it's very hard to then translate that on. To, to support um, the students. Um, there's a slight difference in the order when we looked at what they perceived were the most effective, um, but it, it didn't differ too much. Uh, work support was about 50% of the respondents. Self-care was about 30%, uh, 37%, sorry. Um, debriefing was about 35%. Um, and that sort of highlights um, that there is a slight discrepancy, but a lot of uh, the staff were using what they did find um, was effective. Uh, some of them that they believed were a little bit better than what they were using included uh, work support. Um, so it was slightly, slightly better than, than the actually using, and that's an important one, goes back to that collaborative approach that, that we keep sort of touching on there. Uh, mindset as well, it's very hard to, to get that strong mindset on what's going on. Um, student focus as well as reflection um, were again slightly better than what were actually uh, perceived as better than, than actually used in the field there. Um, is there anything you wanted to add there at all, James? There's, there was, although it wasn't used particularly frequently, you mentioned uh, indulgent behaviours, which was things like um, uh, eating chocolate, drinking alcohol, um, and I guess distracting yourself from the problem. Um, so, but people didn't find them particularly effective. Uh, and interestingly, professional support, um, like all of those strategies, are things you either do yourself um, at school with school colleagues, or you do in, in your personal life when you when you go home. Um, professional support was pretty much the bottom option that people picked um, so most of most of the support is coming from yeah those more informal sources rather than the the formal uh, support mechanisms that's an interesting point james um one of the articles we published this month on teacher looked at how schools can encourage the staff to make the most of things like employee assistance programs so eaps uh, well-being supports and so on and uh, as you say, the response to this survey said these were helpful, but they rarely chose it as a strategy. Yeah, so it's interesting that, that you mentioned that, um, and it does sound like a really important article, um, and I'd like to actually check it out, but um, we didn't actually explore why this is underutilised as a source of support, um, but we did really find that that's what those systems are, are for and designed for, to, to be that safety net for staff um, when it's becoming too much. Um, so respondents identified workplace colleagues, partners, school leaders, friends, family members, um, and supervisor line managers as the most frequently used sources of support in coping with OV from students. Um, as James was mentioning there, really those informal supports are where most staff from our respondents actually went. 
Um, in terms of how helpful the support was as well, work colleagues were clearly rated as the most helpful sources of support. Um, and that makes sense. We all have different relationships in the school and we go to those people we trust or admire and, and they're really um, our, our backing uh, when we're collaborating there. So on average, they were rated as between helpful and extremely helpful. Um, and then followed by partners, school leaders um, and friends were the next most helpful sources of support. So um, taking that stuff home and, and using those informal support networks that people have, um, we found our respondents is really where they turned to uh, when they were finding th these uh, sort of issues challenging with the occupational violence from students. Um, and, and again, as we said, the most underutilised sources of support um, was based on the relatively low frequency of use, yet helpfulness um, was a little bit higher with psychologists, counsellors and, and health practitioners. And that goes back to, to what you're sort of mentioning with this recent article on, on why are the EAP services being underutilised because that really is what, what their um, sort of role and focus is, is to help staff get through the, these challenging times uh, um, and experiences. And, I definitely think that's a, that's a place where, where more research is required um, to understand what's going on there and, and how can we remove those barriers um, so that, yeah, our amazing educators are again supported uh, when, they, when they are facing these challenging situations. From the results that you found there from your study, for people listening, what can schools and principals, who are in a great position, but educators as well, maybe thinking about themselves or thinking about a colleague, what can they do in practical terms right now? Yeah, and that's a really good point. And that's really what we wanted to do is have that solution focused lens. Um, and despite the best efforts of school leadership, teachers, school staff, health professionals, directorates, and even the wider community, um, OB from students towards teachers can be minimised. But I don't believe that it'll be fully eradicated and there's various reasons for that um, and, and factors that are, are sometimes beyond um, the control and scope of the education system itself. Um, so it goes back again that really that collabor collaborative approach that um, is so important to prevent as well as minimise the impact when OV does occur and on how educators um, do their best to actually support each other, um, they have the best understanding of what's going on on the ground and, and they're the best ones that sort of have the knowledge and, and experiences to be able to support their colleagues um, as sort of that collaborative approach. Um, so these results actually already informed um, the ACT Education Directorate through our co-researchers at the OV team um, and we appreciate that you're actually sharing out this research because that was our idea. We wanted to, to find what's working and what's not working a little bit and, and share that so, so that people could take that on board um, in their practice and, and sort of day-to-day -day runnings of their school and in employment there. Um, so as I said before, yeah, it's fundamental that staff support each other and work collaboratively. Uh, and this should go through all the levels of education. Um, so, so support from directorates, from principals, from senior staff, and even colleagues supporting each other. Um, in relation to prevention, um, staff support and training regarding sort of the interaction styles, identifying underlying causes for aggressive behaviour and, and teaching alternate behaviours, which I, I know is done very well um, in Australia with a lot of the evidence-based um, intervention programming that we do. Um, Whenever possible, removing antecedents, which is not always possible. We, we, can, we can only do the best to sort of help control and, and minimise from, from that angle, but, but doing the best we can. 
And that really uh, leads back to, to the forming of really quality relationships and understandings with our students. Uh, in terms of coping, uh, we've sort of looked at setting up effective formal and informal opportunities for debriefing, because um, that was a really big one. Um, it, it Just allowing educators to get something off their chest, it doesn't need to be necessarily an action there, of, of just having that support um, in that space where they can vent what's going on or they can try and look at how could I do something differently that day, but understanding as well that it's a tricky situation and that, um, yeah, educators doing their very best to minimise these things. And sometimes these incidents still occur despite everything that we sort of throw at, at there. Uh, and then the other big one, I guess, is really promoting that, that school cultural self-care and a healthy work-life balance is another big one. Um, as you'd understand, as, uh, and to the listeners as well, you, educators are doing an incredible amount of things and, and really focusing on yourselves as well. Um, because if you're just fixated and stuck, always trying to meet deadlines and all of these sort of factors on top of having OV occur from students, um, it can become really difficult to manage in an ongoing way. Um, so going back to it, the really big one is really just a collaborative approach um, and to encourage staff to have each other's back. It goes back to a saying that I really like, it's that it takes a village to raise a child. And I think that's very important here and very important in education that it really is that collaborative approach between um, all school staff, um, the wider community, parents, um, all of these sort of people having, having everybody consistent and clear on the same page there. So yeah, and even that collaborative approach as well uh, increases the consistency and predictability of expectations for students themselves, which then decreases and reduces the outbursts that, that involve violence because they really understand that they can't try something different on with a different staff member, that those expectations and, and rules are there. But yeah, again, it's really that collaborative approach and, and, and fostering those really positive cultures in schools and, and teamwork. Um, around how, how we help manage uh, trickier students to, to help them learn those skills and, and learn those alternatives so they can use um, other behaviours rather than, than necessarily violence and outbursts. So there's an awful lot of information in the journal paper. There's lots of stats, information there on strategies. So I definitely would recommend that listeners have a read of that. We've just sort of scratched the surface a little bit today. I'll put a link into that to the transcript of this podcast at teachermagazine.com. And a reminder, the journal paper is free to access until the end of November, thanks to our friends at AJE and SAGE. Uh, just before we end then, in terms of future research, are you looking maybe at extending the survey? Um, yeah, firstly, I'd like to thank all the listeners for listening, because it really was important that we go out. And, and again, to the um, AGE, uh, AJE um, for, for sharing this article and making it uh, free for people to access for a limited time. Uh, I might throw this to James, as, as he's the academic guru that will um, sort of know where to go next from this. Um, yeah, look, I, I was actually quite shocked when David came to me with this idea. I I thought that's not a very original idea. Surely we have good information about occupational violence um, in Australian education settings. And when we searched, I was amazed that other than the principals survey uh, and, you know, the odd study here and there, that there is a lack of systematic monitoring of um exactly what's happening in schools and uh, you know I think in some other contexts if there was this going on there would be much bigger inquiries and um, you know serious resourcing thrown at the problem and uh, it is starting to happen but uh, you know I do think whilst we 
we, we are keen to say extend the study in the ACT to high schools and see what's happening um, there. We're open to uh, working with other states or people can, you know, pick use the survey and run it in other states or, or jurisdictions and because, um, you know, ACT is its own, um, you know, area. Uh, so, but at the very least, yes, we'll, the ACT Directorate is keen to continue with this and um, work work with Uni of Canberra to um, see whether we can't probe a bit further into what some of the solutions might be. Uh, yeah, and we're keen to, keen to collaborate. David's keen to continue with this work and hopefully we can get him back and get him doing a PhD in this one day. <laughs> He's smiling now at that thought. Um, well, whatever happens in the future, the best of luck with that. For now, though, David Stevenson and James Neal, thanks very much for sharing your expertise with Teacher. That's all for this episode. If you want to keep listening, there are almost 250 episodes already in our archive. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to our podcast channel on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts from, so you can keep up to date with our latest episodes. We'll be back at the end of this month with the October instalment of our Teacher Staff Room podcast series. 